The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, December 20th, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and... We hope you enjoyed another fun weekend of college basketball, a sport where undefeated teams are never omitted from the postseason tournament. My condolences to Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, San Jose State. The idea that you can win every game you play in college football and still have no shot to compete for a national championship, regardless of what might happen when you get that shot, is the dumbest thing in American sports. Hopefully, we'll, we'll fix that someday. Anyway, the biggest game of the weekend in our sport, the Saturday showdown between Gonzaga and Iowa. It was not competitive. The top-ranked Zags cruised to a 99-88 victory over number three, Iowa. They led by as many as 18 points in the first half. They led by as many as 20 points in the second half. They led by at least eight points for the final 27 minutes and 45 seconds. Just an awesome performance after an extended layoff because of COVID-19 issues within the program. Norlanda, you watched the game. We both talked about it on CBS Sports HQ. What'd you make of Mark Fusags having zero issues at all with Iowa in Sioux Falls, South Dakota? Uh, I made of it a couple things. To hit on your very first comment here, I made of it that this is a great a great thing for college basketball because Gonzaga, I mentioned this on CBS Sports HQ. If you watched us on CBS Sports HQ on Saturday, by the way, thank you, Parrish and I were on like seven seven times over seven hours and uh, we're hitting you up with pregame, halftime, and postgame stuff. And one of the things I mentioned was Gonzaga can't happen in college football. Um, you know, obviously we have a listenership that, that loves college football as it does college basketball. We probably have just some that are just college hoops diehards, but College football and its CFP committee made an embarrassment of itself on Sunday. Um, the four teams that are in, I don't have an issue with you, and I agree on this, but you made a point on Twitter that's very accurate. It's 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 the only American sport where if you go undefeated, you don't have a chance for a championship. And it's not even just that. It's just the fact that college football, be it with a Boise State, which hit a ceiling, or a UCF, which hit a ceiling, or Cincinnati, which is running into a ceiling here, uh, you cannot get a Gonzaga in college football. And that's a damn shame. And I would think at some point, um, they're gonna the, these people that run this sport, the conference commissioners, the people that organize the bowls are going to realize that you can actually have an eight-team playoff, and it's actually going to get the best of both worlds because you'll still have enough urgency in a regular season, but still enough, you know, quote-unquote, fairness to include teams that are deserving of it. But even then, I'm not convinced that an undefeated Cincinnati team would be allowed in in an eight-team playoff there. So the fact that college basketball has a Gonzaga that's established itself as the number one team in America, that's made a national championship game, that's gotten one seeds, that's made run in undefeated seasons and received the appropriate amount of respect from 
coaches, people in the, in the industry, the selection committee. Sure, there are these idiotic skeptics out there, and I can't wait for these people to surf, show themselves again and completely embarrass themselves. If you want to try to, off, try to write off Gonzaga this year, it's be downright idiotic, but whatever. You do you. Um, Gonzaga looked awesome. I know you've got a few uh, intriguing uh, and, and valid talking points on what they were able to do despite um, some of the good players not even, you know, being as available or as good as you'd want them to be. But this was a dominant beatdown against a good Iowa team that shot bad from three-point range. Jalen Suggs established himself as probably the number two player, maybe right there with Luca Garza for National Player of the Year as we talk here on Sunday night. What was most interesting to me about the game is that Iowa got an incredible performance from its All-American. Luca Garza, he was 13-18 from the field, 30 points, 10 rebounds. Gonzaga's top two scores fouled out of the game. Gonzaga turned the ball over 18 times. Now, what if all I did, if I said, uh, we're sitting here talking Saturday morning, and I said, Norlander, I peeked into the future. Here's some bullet point things that are going to happen in this game. Luca Garza is going 13 of 18, 30 and 10. Gonzaga's top two scores, Drew Timmy, Corey Kispert, are both going to foul out. Gonzaga is going to turn the ball over 18 times. What do you think happened in that game? Who do you think wins that game? I mean, blindly, I'm saying I'm saying Iowa by about five, knowing how good Gonzaga is. That's my guess. If I don't know anything else, your Iowa, you get an an All American performance from an All American. Your opponent's top two scores foul out. They turn the ball over 18 times. They still beat you by 11. That's ridiculous, but that is how good Gonzaga is. They were 13 to 26 from three. That that's obviously better than they normally shoot. So the turnovers were an outlier. The three-point shooting was a positive outlier, and Suggs was tremendous. 27.7 rebounds, four assists, three steals, incredible block, looking like an incredible athlete who also is an incredible basketball player. Sometimes these things are not the same thing. You go, oh, he's a great athlete. Is he a great basketball player? Oh, he's a great basketball player, but not a great athlete. Jalen Suggs is an incredible athlete who is an incredible basketball player. And now you've got some people talking about him as a real threat to be the number one overall pick in the 2021 NBA draft. He was terrific. And I've said this before, you know, Gonzaga had enough good returning pieces that Gonzaga was going to be good no matter what. But when you add to that a five-star freshman, one and done top five pick, that's how you become special. This Gonzaga team is undeniably special. Suggs is unreal, man. He is just he's so much better than everyone thought he would be. So this is the second straight season in which Mark Few has told me something and he's been completely wrong about it. So last season, as and he told many people this, uh, and was really forthcoming about it, you know, after the fact, once his team was proven to be awesome, he he expressed real doubt over his team. Again, this is going into last season, how good they actually would be because that team was coming off losing Rui Hachimura, Brandon Clark, Josh Perkins, you know, real pieces. He just wasn't sure. He thought he'd have a good team, but he did not think that the team he had last season was going to be capable of, of going 31-2 and two, uh, by the end of that conference slate, and that's, in fact, what Gonzaga did. When I talked to few, I don't know, late October, and he also said this, he said it to, I don't know if it was an outlet or radio station, but he basically said, Jalen Suggs uh, is an interesting talent for us. He's hit that, you know, 
little mini wall in the preseason that every single freshman that we've ever had hits. It's way harder when you get to college, you see who you're playing against. We've got guys on this team. We always have juniors and seniors, and it just takes a minute. Like, he's not ready yet. If we had to start a game tomorrow, I wouldn't start him. This is where Mark Few was in late October. Mark Few is not the kind of coach that will kind of say those things and not mean them. So Suggs has outperformed his own head coach's expectations by a mile. Suggs right now is behind Garza and then Indiana, Indiana's Trace Actions Davis. So he's third in the Kempom Player of the Year algorithm, and that's a lot of basically um, the Kempom stats. So it's not traditional stats uh, as we know them. I think that's accurate, though. Right now, and Timmy is still way up there. Kispert, still, you know, he's still the most reliable three-point shooter. Technically, right now, Suggs is the team's best three-point shooter. He went 7 of 10, so he's at 56% for the year. But on 16 attempts, Kispert shooting 44.4% on 27 attempts. Gonzaga's four games in, has wins over Kansas, West Virginia, Iowa. Hello, those are three top 10 teams. Gonzaga is the best team with the best resume in America right now. It's going to play Northwestern State on Monday, and then shortly before we started this podcast, it's actually going to play another game against Northwestern State again on Tuesday in advance of its game against Virginia on Saturday. But Suggs is unreal, and we've got a long way to go. Like The one thing that we don't do is is analyze these players on like a where-are-they-going-to-get-drafted basis in the season. I like to talk about mostly what these dudes mean to their teams and player of the year and All-American and all that stuff, but it's undeniable at this point that Suggs is showing that he can be just a flat-out awesome, super valuable college player immediately as a freshman, and then he has the skills, the strength, the speed, the shooting ability, the defense, the athleticism to immediately be that kind of player who can step into the NBA, be an impact player. I find it hard to believe at this point, barring any kind of injury, how he even drops out of the top five conversation. You're right, he's entering into that number one conversation overall, but I think he's firmly establishing himself as the kind of player who's going to be a really high pick and what will be, a, by the way, a very good draft a much better draft in 21 than the one we had in 20. Real quick on Iowa, they enter that game shooting 40% from three, had four players averaging at least 15 minutes per game who were shooting at least 50% from three, and then they, against Gonzaga, can't make a shot. Four of 22 from the three-point line. Their season percentage has now dropped to 37%. They are still number one in offensive efficiency number 82 in defensive efficiency. That's not good enough, and it was obvious against Gonzaga. Gonzaga shot 51.4% from the field, 50% from three against Iowa. And it's why, even though this was a matchup between top three teams, when Gonzaga got way ahead, it felt like the game was over because Iowa was never going to be able to get enough stops to, to get back into that game. And they never got enough stops to get back into that game. Again, Gonzaga led by at least eight points for the final 27 minutes and 45 seconds. So it was an awesome performance from the Zags. I didn't knock Iowa down in the top 25 and won it all because ultimately it was an 11-point loss to the number one team. If I dropped them down from three to four, I would have been dropping them below another one-loss team that lost by 12 to Gonzaga. That's Kansas. So I just kept Iowa at three, Kansas at four. Michigan State ran out the top five with Gonzaga, Baylor, top two. By the way, you said on CBS Sports HQ, I was sitting right there, I heard you. You said Gonzaga is, quote, Mm. far and away the best team in the country. Do you think Gonzaga is really far and away better than Baylor? Because Ken Palm disagrees with you. Torvik disagrees with you. Baylor is actually ahead of Gonzaga for whatever it's worth in both those computers right now. 
That's I did notice this late Saturday night, I guess it was, um, that Gonzaga was not rated number one. And I, 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 that, first of all, that means that if those two teams, first of all, we're not getting this game, which is a bummer um, because I just don't see how that's going to happen now because uh, Gonzaga is going to play Virginia and Baylor's not getting games in this week and they got to start. I just, they're going to need a miracle to get that game in, which stinks. Um, yeah. Like, okay, so on Tuesday, I'm going to debut the power rankings, which are different from GP's rankings, I guess. Don't worry about it. But um, but anyway, the point is, I started doing some 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 looksies on that today, and obviously Gonzaga's going to be one, and Baylor's going to be number two. Baylor, I don't know. I just don't, I don't see, I far and away, all right, maybe I, listen, I said that on HQ, I said that Mick Cronin's in the conversation for the best coach in UCLA history on HQ. You know, you knew what I was talking about. I'm not sure our beloved host, Joe Muso, <laughs> really knew what I was doing with that. We have a little fun on HQ. Um, but I do, I do, like, I, if Gonzaga Baylor played on a neutral tomorrow, my guess is because Baylor is ahead at Ken Palm, that would be like a one-point favored Baylor outcome. But I actually think that the, Betting markets would give it Gonzaga like minus two. And I would take Gonzaga to cover there. If it's a seven-game series on a neutral court, I think I'm taking Gonzaga to win four games to two against Baylor. And the one game Baylor, one of those two games, Baylor barely wins and Gonzaga like blows him out in three of the others. So far and away was laying on too heavy. I'm just, I'm so in on this team. They, they're, there's no other team that has the amount of talent they have, Parrish. I don't think that's even arguable at this point because the one team offensively that you could say that about is the team that still rates number one in offensive efficiency that just lost to Gonzaga by 11 in South Dakota. It's Iowa, and we even saw, like, Iowa's got really good offense. It doesn't have everything Gonzaga has. So, yeah, I do think that this is just a team on another level, and I think it's going to take one more win against Virginia, which is a completely different opponent than Iowa, if Gonzaga wins that game and wins by double digits, I mean, how much are we going to have left to say? So I know I'm being a bit uh, long-winded in me answering you, but I do think there's a sizable gap between Gonzaga and Baylor at this point. I'm willing to readdress this if we look up and Baylor's really separated in the Big 12, a much tougher league than Gonzaga's, but I still like Gonzaga with a bullet right now. Listen, um, we're talking live on uh you know, television, you're going to say things sometimes that you'd rather take back. It's not a big deal. I wasn't ridiculing you as much as um, I'm just curious. Like I, cause I, you, I'm with you in the sense that I think Gonzaga is the best team in the country. It's why I've had them number one since March. Um, they are actually better than I thought they would be. They are overwhelming. I mean, they are hand, like they're sitting here already went over Kansas, went over Iowa, went over West Virginia, and next Saturday, they can add a win over Virginia, at which point we will, I mean, maybe not you and I specifically, although we probably will, but people will start wondering, not only can this team win a national championship, like that, it's clear they can win a national championship. It doesn't mean they will. It's a single elimination tournament, but like, can Gonzaga win a national title? There's, there's no debate. Of course, Gonzaga can win a national title. This team is awesome. The, the, the new question will be, can they become the first undefeated national champion since Indiana in 76? And once they get past... If they get past Virginia, they will have four wins over teams ranked in the top 20 of the current AP poll with zero 
remaining regular season games against top 50 Kimpom teams. I mean, they are, it doesn't mean they won't lose, but they will set up to not lose. And so the conversation will shift a little bit. So I am with you in the sense that I think Gonzaga is the best team in the country, but um, Baylor's adjusted efficiency margin is plus 30.08. Gonzaga's adjusted efficiency margin is plus 29.81. And then third on the list is Wisconsin at plus 25.90. So there is a gap between Gonzaga, Baylor, and everybody else, but there is not a gap between Gonzaga and Baylor. And by the way, Baylor returned from its COVID-19 pause and beat Kansas State by 31, no problem. So um, if you want to take this opportunity to apologize to Terry Teagle's alma mater and the first lady of Baylor basketball, Kelly Drew, I'd be happy to give it to you. Uh, I'm going to hold off on that for now, although I believe Kelly Drew listens to just about every episode here. I will remind you that that adjusted efficiency margin is not purely based off of results so far. The season is predictive and measure and will be for another I mean, I don't know what Palmer is going to do in terms of when he's going to only use data from in season, but that'll be at least another month. So, but it's just, but will, still a fair I, point. Still a fair I, point. I will remind you that I don't care. Okay. Okay. <laughs> By the way, I think you pulled a uh, CFP move here. Iowa loses convincingly, and you go, uh, you go Florida Gators. You just don't drop them. You just, you kept them in the same spot there. Bold move. What, what about, what about losing? to the number one team means you're not the number three team, particularly when the number four team lost to the same team by more points. <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, and uh, and that is an important discrepancy, by the way, because like the power rankings that they, they asked me to do, they're more like I do have recency bias with them because that's intentional. It's more like a trend list, a hot list, if you will. So I will not have Iowa third due to the loss, but I'm not going to drop them out of the top 10. That's not going to happen. But based on resume and accomplishment and preseason expectation, I think it is reasonable because Iowa actually did like that game could have actually been like a 20. 20- three 24-point spread. It, I, Iowa could have let it get away, and it didn't get away. They were never going to threaten to win, but they were, let's say, within shouting distance for pretty much consistently in the final seven, eight minutes there, and so they kept the margin respectable. But they stayed social distance. They they were socially distant from Gonzaga. That is a socially distant <laughs> Gonzaga win, there's no doubt. Uh, in the meantime, Kentucky dropped to 1-5 and five after Saturday's 75-63 loss to North Carolina. Another awful performance. We'll talk about John Calipari's Wildcats next. First, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So Kentucky dropped to 1-5 after Saturday. 75-63 loss to North Carolina. Another terrible performance. They shot 23.1% from three. Finished with twice as many turnovers as assists. The new starting point guard, Terrence Clark, had three turnovers, zero assists, five fouls. So now the Wildcats have lost five straight games 
for the first time since the 1989-90 season. They are 1-5 for the first time since the 1926-27 season. And it should be noted that only one team has started 1-5 and five and received an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament since the field expanded to 64 teams. It was Texas in 1999. So it's only happened once, and it hasn't happened in more than 20 years. Norlander, how is John Calipari going to fix this? Can John Calipari fix this? Uh, I mean, well, the one way he can do it, did we, did we see what he broke out in that post-game presser? That leather the jacket? The black leather jacket? Yes. He, look, he, he decided to turn into the Fonz. Divorced dad heading to Eagles concert is how I described that look right there. And that might be exactly what Kentucky needs if it's going to save this brutal season. You know, there was some comparisons about, you know, North Carolina last season, Kentucky this season, Blue Bloods, you know, swooning. Uh, North Carolina, it was not the same situation. If anything, it had false hope. It started 5-0, and 6-1, and and then the losses kind of started piling up. Kentucky... It's a way, way different deal here. It's ranked 50th in Ken Palm right now. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's actually the lowest it's ever been in the history of that database because the Billy Gillespie years got pretty dark there late, and I didn't check week by week. So they might have been worse at a certain point during the lowest points of the Gillespie era, but it is the lowest under Cal. That After Kentucky lost to Bobby Moe in the NIT in 2013, they were 47th. So uh, they are slipping and slipping fast. Fixing this, I don't know. We'll see. I got two two thoughts here. My first thought is we are playing a season in a pandemic. These are freshmen, and I really, really hope that Kentucky fans, while wanting to hold Cal accountable at large, I get all that. Let's not forget the position that these players are in. And if for whatever reason it's not working, for the, it's not working, okay, Um as far as I'm concerned, it's a, it's a freebie for uh, for these uh, quote-unquote amateur athletes who deserve the benefit of the doubt and walk into a huge situation with a lot of expectations. They don't get the benefit of playing in front of 20,000-plus people at Rupp Arena. A lot of the perks that come with going to Kentucky are not there this season, and I could understand why. It's it, If it gets away from them, it's hard to recapture any kind of momentum you would have had starting in the season. So for you know Terrence Clark, zero assists, and Olivier Saar not getting it done, Brandon Boston stepping in there and and has not lived up to expectation yet. Devin Askew has got plenty to figure out. Um, I hope the fan base is not going too rough on the players. And I think that Kentucky fans, for the most part, have, have actually done that to a, to a decent degree. My other thought is... Kentucky's not going to the NCAA tournament, and we are fooling ourselves if we think it's going to happen. It's 1-5. The next game is at Louisville, and if Kentucky can win that, and we'll obviously preview that later in the week, um, but you know, a quick thought is if it can win that, then you know, winning that game is sort of the stuff this rivalry is made of. Like it, it helps salvage the season a little bit if you can just beat Louisville. But as you said before, Texas is the only team to have done this and to expect Kentucky with this many freshmen, I, it's just, it's too far. And it's also, I, I wrote this in my takeaways on the site Saturday night, Kentucky's in a double-edged sword spot here. If we think the SEC is going to be better than it's been so far this season, and we don't really have a lot of evidence that's going to be the case, but if we think that's going to be the case and it's going to be better, why are we to believe that Kentucky is suddenly going to turn into a top three team in the SEC, which it's going to need to do if it wants to get in in an at-large situation after trying to overcome a 1-5 start? Or if the SEC is still going to be just okay, 
And it's been just okay. It ranks as the fifth best conference in the country right now. Well, then the amount of win opportunities that are going to be there for Kentucky that are going to matter, like quad one level or quality quad two, it's it's going to be tough. It's not impossible, but come on. Uh, you know, our buddy Seth Davis listens to this podcast, and we love him for it. So, Seth, I'm going to talk to you right now directly. He said, don't panic. He said he said it on CBS, and then he tweeted it. He said, Kentucky fans, don't panic. They're 1-5. in five. They're not going to the tournament. I don't know where he's coming from. Tell me you agree with me. There's no way. This is done, right? We're done. Oh, it's definitely time to panic. By the way, Seth also said uh, duty on uh, on CBS. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, of course it's time to panic. Like, unless you just say don't panic because we're just not going to panic ever. (laughs) But, but like, if you care about this basketball team being good, it is definitely time to panic. They're not good. And I don't see how they're going to get good enough to be able to submit a resume that's worth an at-large bid. You know, like, there there are six top 40 Kinpom teams in the SEC. Kentucky's not one of them. The idea that they're going to get into a league and start winning games against teams that are better than the teams they're already losing to, I mean, it's possible. I'm not going to rule anything out, but I I wouldn't bet on it. And if it was my team, I would be panicking. If I were John Calipari, I would be panicking. Yeah, and oh, one last point on this, um, because uh, Kentucky's always Kentucky being this bad, they they still stay weirdly relevant, but they're just not going to have a lot of games that uh, that become must watch at this point after this after Louisville this weekend. This is this is my opinion. Um, I think when you operate a program the way that Calipari does and the way that Mike Shashevsky has been doing, this is inevitable. Okay, and there's nothing wrong with it, but. When you are able to, and I'm not even saying I would do it differently because you can easily make a case that John Calipari has been a top three coach in all of college basketball since he got to Kentucky. I think that's almost an irrefutable case in my opinion. But if you want to be the person that says he's only won one national championship and hold it against him, I think that's a bit unreasonable. Whatever. The point I'm making here is that when you reload every single year and you send two, three, four guys to the draft on an annual basis, to me... It's almost a marvel it hasn't happened sooner. Like, eventually, you're just going to get a certain group. It's not going to click. It's not going to work. They're going to be too young. You're not going to have the right person in this spot or the right person in that spot. If you're going to try and bring in a transfer, they might not have. Like, Jacob Toppin, not the answer right now. Olivier Saar, frankly, it's in every other kind of game with him. So, the fact that it's taken this long since Cal got there and implemented this uh, philosophy to how he wants to recruit, like, it's almost a testament to how good he is. But I just find this this is just unavoidable. This is the bad year. Now, you'll take this in exchange for five, six, seven other years when you get to number one in the polls or you win the SEC or you make a Final Four, you get a number one seed. But I just don't think this this stuff is avoidable. We may wind up end up seeing the same exact thing in the same exact season with Duke. Let's wait just a little bit while longer before we get there. Kentucky's obviously much worse than Duke at this point. I think I would disagree with you on this. I don't think you would take this in exchange for five or six good seasons. Like, this is never supposed to happen at Kentucky. I mean, that is the point I see most Kentucky fans making, and even some Kentucky media, uh, which is now being critical of John Calipari, perhaps for the first time in any sort of real way. Um, They say, like, listen, okay, you're young, you're inexperienced, Cam Brooks is hurt. Um, it's a pandemic. You didn't get a normal. You're one in five with the number one recruiting class in in the country at Kentucky. This should not happen. Like these two sentences can both be true. John Calipari has been great at Kentucky, but you should never be one in five with the number one recruiting class in the country at Kentucky. Like I, I think both of those things um, are true. 
And so you start trying to figure out well, what has happened here. I think they got caught without a point guard. And then they're, um, you know, the, the <laughs> move Terrence Clark on the ball did not work as well as move Tyreek Evans on the ball, at least not through game one. And by the way, Terrence Clark, BJ Boston, both projected lottery picks. On Saturday, they were 8 of 25 from the field combined, 0 of 6 from 3, 5 turnovers, 3 assists. Like, if you have projected lottery picks, they, they need to play like it. And those guys did not play like it. And then for Kentucky as a team, it was just the same stuff. That's the other thing. It's not like, well, this time they, you know, they turned the ball over too much. This time they didn't make shots. Or this time they got out-rebounded. I mean, it is the same thing every loss. Can't shoot. Can't take care of the ball. On Saturday, 3 of 13 from 3, 16 turnovers, only 8 assists. Same problems they've had all season. Bad point guard play, too many turnovers, can't make a shot. And then you've got Cameron Fletcher noticeably upset on the bench about a lack of playing time and John Calipari actually addressing that in the postgame. And then you've got Keon Brooks, did you see this, having to speak to the media because this dude hadn't played a minute all season. He's the one speaking to the media because nobody else wanted to do it. Now, that's just weird. I mean, that, that just doesn't ha- – that wouldn't happen anywhere. I, I can't – I've never heard of that happening anywhere where a player who didn't play addressed the media and nobody else did. Like, like you have to send somebody out there. These aren't, quote, kids who need to be protected from whatever. Every relevant player on the Kentucky roster who was in that game on Saturday is an adult, not a kid. Is an adult. That's my other pet peeve, by the way. Canceled with one L, not two. And stop calling college basketball players kids. I see it every day. Oh, these kids are these kids are that. These kids are that. they're not kids. They're all adults. I got I got three kids in my house. Everybody plays college basketball as an adult. Stop calling them kids. These aren't kids who need to be protected. Every relevant player on that Kentucky team that played Saturday is an adult who has been on a big stage for a while. They should be able to handle a few harmless questions. And it just makes you wonder, like, what is going on with that program when Kentucky can't even um, submit a player to answer seven questions on Zoom after a basketball game? Again, not the biggest deal in the world. And I'm not even arguing this on behalf of the media. I don't need to talk to any Kentucky players. I don't care. I just think it's weird that Keon Brooks is sitting there having to answer for what happened in a basketball game he did not participate in. He's having to answer for what's wrong in a season in which he hasn't played a single minute. That was a weird look. And if this wasn't uh, a pandemic and if COVID wasn't happening, normally what happens at Rupp is they send, they have like these. Um, these like mini deuses where the players, the chairs are elevated and it's like two, three or four after a game and the players go out. I figure if this was normal, that would have happened. But because it's done over Zoom and obviously they're one in five, no excuse for it. Send somebody out there. Send somebody out there. Um, so that was bizarre. Keon Brooks doesn't need to answer for any. That's the great irony about it. He does not need to answer for any of this. Dude has not played. And yet he steps in and provides, quote, uh, you know, how much how much are you going to really get from him after that I, that was i agree with you um that was just bizarre and i would think uh and given the size by the way kentucky has the biggest beat in the country and uh for those outside our world beat is in reference to the number of people on the beat on the writing beat on the coverage beat there is no um in in men's basketball at least there's no other team that has more people employed full-time to cover a program than Kentucky and its throng of media. So um, 
I would expect this will not happen again because something like that happens. You best believe the program is going to hear about it, and you just got to you got to do better. And like, by the way, a place like, like Kentucky, because you're exactly right, there is no program that is covered more intensely by as many people as the Kentucky men's basketball program. That's not a place where you need to learn to hide after losses. <laughs> like you, 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 you don't hide there. There's no hiding there. Uh, but it does speak to, you know, it's it's a, you know, the on the court stuff is a problem. Cameron Fletcher having his issue is a problem. No player wanting to make himself available or being told you must make yourself a player available is, I don't want to identify it as a problem, but it's weird. That suggest, it's something that's weird, bizarre, as you put it, that suggests um, they, they got real issues. And so we'll see where it goes from here, but I, I'm with you. At this point, I'd, I'd be something close to shocked if Kentucky turned this around in a way that had them in the 2021 NCAA tournament. And it, it is like when John says we're inexperienced and we're young and, you know, it's all true. He's not lying, but it is, it's his job to avoid this. You know, if you don't like being this inexperienced, then don't be, you know, he's in control of the roster. You know, you, you grab more transfers, recruit more multi-year prospects. Like I'm not going to tell a hall of fame coach who is, perhaps the best program builder in the history of the sport, how he should build his roster. That seems absurd, but whatever his roster looks like good or bad, he's responsible for it. And right now he's got a roster that's got him off to a one in five start. And, you know, when I mentioned earlier, the local media is starting to really question him in a way that I want to be clear, might not be the first time ever, but it's the first time I ever, I can remember seeing it. So, public you know matt jones who's a, a, a powerful voice in that state has been very critical uh kyle tucker had a column for the athletic that like questioned john specifically and was 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 pretty critical and so you know it, it's it's flipping on john a little bit not to the point where he's on the hot seat or anything like that you know he's not he's this is not a billy gillespie situation can't lose Almost, can't lose jerry tipton that's the biggest thing <laughs> Can't lose Jerry Tipton. Once you lose Jerry Tipton, it's over. So let's keep. Talking. I don't know. I don't know if that's true exactly. Like Jerry's pretty straight. Oh, like he is. I yeah. know. I'm just. I'm just playing. Yeah, one of the beloved uh, figures in all of college basketball coverage, no doubt. Right, but I do, and I, I don't even think Matt would disagree with this. Matt loves Kentucky basketball, and so you know he 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 leans a certain way. Understandably, I'm not even being critical of it. But like when you lose to him. <laughs> you, you you might I don't know that you have a problem like it's not going to cost you your job but when you lose him it's it, it's a pretty good indication that things are are not going well and and the point Matt has made um, I've seen him make it multiple times I, I think is impossible to argue against this should not happen at Kentucky it, you should not be one in five at Kentucky under no, any circumstances and you certainly shouldn't be one in five at Kentucky when you just enrolled the number one recruiting class in America. Things are surprisingly bad. And I know there's some people out there that are like, Hey, Kentucky doesn't matter. Why are you talking about here's the Kentucky always matters. You just yes. like, if you were tweeting me right now saying Kentucky doesn't matter, you're just wrong. Kentucky always matters when Kentucky's great. They matter when Kentucky is a nightmare. They matter. You could argue nothing matters in college basketball more than Kentucky. And so if we were doing a list of top 10 stories in the sport right now, Kentucky being this bad, I mean, might honestly be number one on that list. It's yeah, it's at the, cause it's just unprecedented at this point uh, for sure. All right. What else? What else do you want to hit on? Cause we have a, we have a, we have a bevy 
a buffet of interesting results. What stuck out to you, GP? Well, yeah, I want to bounce through a few other notable games from the weekend before we get out of here. Um, let's start with this. UConn played its first game in the Big East since March 2013 on Sunday. A win would have maybe bounced the Huskies into the top 25 because it would have been a win over Creighton, which is ranked ninth in the country, to improve to 4-0, but they lost 76-74 in overtime after being up four points with 14 seconds left in regulation. Did you see any of this deadline? I, I did. I did. Actually, it was, I had a dual TV situation going on, watching my Bears try and keep their playoff hopes alive, and then UConn really having a wonderful opportunity. I did see it. Are you going to lay it out for the audience here? Are you going to get the play-by-play yeah, or what? Yeah, yeah. so um, the Huskies are up four with 14 seconds left in regulation. Then Marcus Zagorowski gets a layup, cut it to two, 13 seconds left. Quick foul, like you see a million times in any basketball game. UConn's R.J. Cole goes to the other end, misses two free throws. So it's still a two-point game. Damian Jefferson scored in the final second to force OT, and then UConn could not make a shot in overtime. Huskies missed seven of their first eight shots in the extra period, lose 76-74. James Booknight was great for a while, ended up with 40 in the loss. He started missing shots like everybody else in overtime. So it was a fun game and one that UConn, I don't want to say choked it away, but you can if you want to. It was a game they had seemingly won, and um, and now it's a loss. So whatever was going to, to come with a 4-0 start with a win over a top-10 team, again, perhaps a national ranking, uh, that'll have to wait. Book Knight drops 40 uh, on a Creighton team with the preseason Big East Player of the Year, Marcus Zagorowski, who has been good but not great so far. 14.7 points, 5.7 assists, 3.1 boards uh, heading into Sunday there, and he was just okay uh, against UConn there. And, yeah, you mentioned that layup. He had an ocean to go to the hoop there. Um, so UConn, yeah, they let it slip through, and now it's going to be hard to ask them to go and make that return trip against Creighton if and when they're able to do that uh, and try and steal a win there. You got a top 10 team in your own building and you couldn't get it out. That was a, that was a bummer. But yes, this was a big day for UConn fans. First, as you mentioned, first Big East game in ages uh, since 2013. Now they're back in the fold. And so on a certain level, that was worth, that was worth celebrating. Um, My only complaint is that it feels like UConn's first Big East game back in the Big East should have been against Georgetown or Providence or a traditional Big East team. It's like UConn against Creighton just, I mean, it was great. And Creighton is very much an important member of of the Big East, reigning co-Big East champs. But UConn in the Big East, like I I needed to see St. John's, you know, something other than one of the more recent additions to the league. Minor complaint, but 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 complaint. Can we stick in the Big East here? I agree with you, by the way. The only two programs further apart in the Big East are Creighton and Providence. Um, so, yeah, somewhere somewhere in the region, I, I hear you. But scheduling and COVID, so it goes. All right, how about this? Xavier, 7-0. Xavier gets to 7-0. Xavier's 8-0, bud. 8-0. Xavier gets to 8-0. My B, I'm actually looking at the video. I'm going to play. The, this is a wonderful. This, first of all, this is the best buzzer beater so far this season, I think. And a wonderful call, courtesy of Fox Sports Run. Here's how Xavier and Adam Kunkel, by way of Rick Bird and Belmont, won against Marquette on Sunday afternoon. Brooks in the paint. No. Kunkel's got it. Oh my goodness, what a wonderful... First of all, the shot's crazy, if you haven't seen it. It's a a scramble situation, step back three at the horn. 
the kind of shot we we love uh, best saved and served in March, and it came here, you know, five days before Christmas. Kunkel's a real deal player, by the way, and Xavier knew it got a good one when he transferred out of Belmont, joined X, and uh, that was a that game I missed most of. I caught it near the end, and that was wonderfully bonkers. Xavier's living a charmed life at the moment, by the way. It is uh, uh, trivia time. Mm. There we go. I forgot I was going to ask you this. Came right into it, though. Um, Xavier, no cheating. No cheating. Xavier, 8-0. What's the only other team right now with eight wins against Division I competition? (sighs) St. Louis Billikens. You're halfway there. No, St. Louis is 6-0. Living on a prayer. St. Mary's. 8-1. St. Mary, and they're on an eight-game win streak. St. Mary's opened the season with a loss against Memphis and South Dakota, and since then, uh, they've been rolling. Their next game comes against, well, first, <laughs> comes against San Diego State, which I have to say, the win streak is over. More than a season without a loss, San Diego State fell on Friday night, 72-62, at home to BYU. Moment of silence, please. The undefeated run is over. Okay, appreciate that. So, uh, big win there for St. Mary's, San Diego State. Listen, undefeated 2019-20 season, always forever in our podcast hearts there. But Xavier, yes, they are 8-0, and we're able to get a a good win against the Marquette team that seems more vexing by the game. Are you going to put Xavier into your top 25-1? and I was was accosted in my mentions, I think, to kind of pressure you into this because if you don't have Xavier, I don't see how that's justifiable. Tell me you're going to put him in the rankings. I don't know. Okay. I, I'll tell you what the easiest thing for my top 25 and one, the easiest thing that could happen for me is we're recording this right now. It is 8.15 Eastern. So St. Louis is about to play Minnesota, and then Colorado has a game against Washington tonight. I have both of those in the 20s, St. Louis and Colorado, in the 20s of the top 25 and one. If one of them lost, I would put Xavier in just to just because it's easy. It's easy. It's just easy to do. And and I can justify it. But my 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 conundrum is what if St. Louis wins? What if Colorado wins? Do I put Xavier in anyway? And I could honestly argue it either way. Um they were picked seventh in the Big East. I had them seventh, you had them eighth. So, (laughs) right. Okay. So nobody thought they were supposed to be good. Now, my approach to ranking teams in November and December has always been pretty consistent. I assume you're going, if I thought you were going to be good, I assume you're good until you show me multiple times that you're not. So that's when I developed the 10 spot auto drop for like a team ranked seventh in the country that just takes a fluky loss. I don't want to drop them all the way out of the top 25 and one because they're still clearly one of the best teams in the country. They just lost a 40 minute basketball game early before they had the wins to offset it. So I assume you're going to be good until you show me multiple times you're not. Likewise, if I assumed you weren't going to be good, I assume you're not good. And by good, I mean top 25 and one good until you show me that you are. So take what I just said, understand it. And now let's talk about Xavier. They were picked seventh in the Big East. Um, yes, 8-0 is awesome. Great record. 8-0 with wins over Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and Marquette. 
but none of those teams are in the top 35 at Kinpon. Xavier now is 49th at Kinpon. Oklahoma's 40th, Marquette's 42nd, Cincinnati 71st. So a team that is 49th at Kinpon, as, as an 8 no team that um, was projected to finish 7th by me, 8th by you in the Big East, has wins over zero top 35 Kinpon teams. Why does that necessarily make them a top 25 on one team or a top 25 team? I hear what you're saying. Cincinnati, by the way, is not that good. It's two and four coming off a loss to Georgia. By the way, we'll circle back to uh, Xavier just a quick hot second. Georgia beat Cincinnati in basketball, 83-68 on Saturday. Those two schools play each other in the New Year's, in a New Year's Six Bowl in football. Will Georgia beat Cincinnati more in football than it did in basketball? Something to ponder. Um, I hear what you're saying. Cincinnati's not good. Oklahoma, I mean, uh, maybe top five in the Big 12. And then Marquette, I mean, I've sung Marquette's praises. It's actually dropped three of its past four, but it's got a really, really nice win at Creighton mixed in there. So I hear what you're saying. You are going to have Xavier fans all up in the business on Monday if you opt not to put them in there. Oh, I I know, but you can't. No, I know, because, like, fans are fans. All they see is 8-0, and they think we're the best team in the country. You should have us ranked 11th now. (laughs) I I really don't concern myself. I know. Listen, I like to have a little fun with you, but you know it's. it's, Oh, oh, I know it's coming. You could not listen to what I just said and, and argue against me. Like, I promise you, if I don't ring Xavier, and I'm not even saying that I won't. I, I, we'll see. I, I'll be up late tonight. But um, if I don't, I promise you the fans that will tweet me, if I, if I said, hey, join me on Zoom for a second, I'll talk to you for five minutes, I could talk circles around them. They would not be able to, to keep up. Um, so, like, my point is simple. To ar- the argument against Xavier is actually a well-reasoned, rooted in real stuff argument. They're – they were picked seventh in the Big East. They're 49th at Ken Palm. They have not beaten a single top 35 team. Obviously, no top 25 teams. What, what have they done to show anybody that they're actually a top 25 or 26 team in the country? Are they a top 50 team in the country? Sure. Are they a top 40 team in the country? Maybe. But what have they done to show definitively that they're one of the top 26 teams in America? You can't like starting eight and zero with three kind of good wins is not necessarily that. Now here's the point I made on Twitter. Now you go to Creighton on Wednesday, win inside the CHI Health Center Omaha. Now you're nine and zero with a win over a a, a, a top ten team. Now you now you, there's no debate. Now you, you've got a resume that says rank me. But right now I'm still not certain they have a resume that says rank me. So that's the argument against them. The argument for them is just they're eight. No, with three pretty good wins. Like, why not? So I, I mm-hmm. I'll see. I, I, I'm, I'm certainly not rooting against my Billikens. There's no scenario. I'm doing that, but it would be easier for the top 25 and one. If somebody lost tonight, opened up a spot and you just shove Xavier right in there and tell the Musketeer fans to celebrate. Paul Scruggs got 29 points against Marquette. He was terrific and has been terrific this season. And like you mentioned, I knew you weren't going to be able to type Adam Kunkel on Twitter without mentioning Rick Bird. <laughs> Damn right. So he's a Belmont transfer. Shouts to Rick Bird and shouts to Dylan Windler's uncle. That's right. That's that's right. And yeah, shout, of course, shout, uh, Rick Bird, Hall of Famer. Of course, man, are you kidding me? Kunkel. But 
By the way, real quick, while we're in the Big East, um, by the like the Big East had a quadruple header today, like on FS1. Still going as we record this, by the way. St. John's <laughs> about to uh, avenge its loss to Georgetown, yes. And it was, uh, it's been like all the games were great. Like I, uh, I watched Seton Hall Providence as well. And we had Sandro Mamukilashvili way too low in our top 101 players list. He's awesome. Yeah, no, he he is he's he, you know it's funny you mentioned that. Um, that was a very entertaining game, good win by Providence. Uh, but uh, but Big Mamu has a great confidence and swag to his game. Like just enjoy watching him play. Like the kind of guy where you want him on your team, and if he's in the game on your team, like you, I think he just boosts Seton Hall's confidence overall, and and gives them. Maybe an outsized confidence that they can actually win the game. Um, since you mentioned this, I, I haven't looked at the schedule, so I don't know if this is the case or not, or if this was just a random circumstance here as they try to get in games before Christmas. But if the Big East, for whatever reason, like if it does, ha- it should it should try to do this. By the way, I don't know if it is or isn't, but it it should try and get as many league games this season on Sundays as it can because after the football season sort of wanes a bit, um, it's a good way to stand out. Not that there aren't games on Sundays, usually there are, but Saturdays is always so packed um, that it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I, I just, that was, that's what we were following on Sunday. But yeah, Mamu was uh, spectacular. That was a tough loss for the Pirates, but but he is wonderful. Where did we, where did we have him? I'm going to guess, I'm going to say we had him, you said he's too low. I'm going to say we had him like 71. Where was he? We had him 86th. Yeah, that's too low. One spot behind Memphis freshman Musa Cisse. Well, I know for sure I had uh, Mamu ahead of Musa because I didn't have Musa in my top 100, and I did have Mamu there. So I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to lay the blame on your shoulders there. Well, uh, I, I actually, if we go back and look at the email thread, I think I was lobbying for Mamu earlier than anybody. I think that's probably correct. Yes. He was, we ended up listing him 86. He's awesome. Like he's 6'11, 240. Put it on, he puts it on the floor, like got an and one at the buzzer regulation to force the overtime by just putting it on the floor and going downhill. 6'11, 240. Good vision, good passer, can shoot it. He's going to play in the NBA. I've watched him mm. twice in the past week and came away both times going, I don't know where he is. He's he's not in the mock drafts right now. I don't believe. It's certainly not projected as a first round pick. He's going to. He will play in the NBA. He has really, really improved. He's been great, and they've needed him because they've lost a lot from last season, most notably Miles Powell. But we'll see. The Big East, by the way, before we transition real quick, um, like Villanova is the best team. Creighton's probably the second best team, and then it's just. Oh, I need way, way, way more results, more data points, more volume. I, I don't ask me to rank the teams right now because I couldn't even tell you. It just it just seems like one big jumble, which will be fun. In the Big Ten, there was also a, a big game on Sunday. We talked about it, previewed it on Friday's podcast. Rutgers improved a 6-0 with a 91-88 victory over Illinois. Ron Harper Jr., 28 points on 15 shots. Jacob Young added 24. Norlander. You had Illinois pick to win the Big Ten. The Illini are now five and three overall, one and one in the Big Ten. If you could change that prediction now, would you? I don't know if what I would. I don't know would if I would. Change? I don't know if I would. Now, see if you see. If, what would you change if you could? Name the song. What would you change if you could? What would you change if you could? I'm going to need you to sing it for me. I can't sing. I think you can try. 3,500 miles away, 
What would you change if you could? I need a phone call. What? Are you serious? Are you serious right now? How do you not know this? You got me all twisted, man. Sing that one more time for me, please. 3,000. I'm not singing, by the way. Don't, don't say Parrish was singing on the podcast. I'm not singing. I'm not singing. I'm, I'm talking in rhythm. 3,500 miles okay. away. <laughs> okay. What would you change there we if go. you could? You're, you're <laughs> that's counting crows, but yes, okay, <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing. Raining, how could you not recognize? Oh, raining I, I love in Baltimore? it. I love it. My mind wasn't there, but this is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Absolutely love it. Um, I thought you were going to uh, 3,525 minutes or something with rent. I didn't know where you were going, um, which isn't even the right number, okay couple things first of all you took Rutgers to cover and since you took Rutgers to cover we are now six and three both of us against the spread this season we are even because we both had Indiana it covered we both had Carolina it covered we both had Wisconsin which romped Louisville biggest win in program history over ranked team Wisconsin nice win we see ya don't worry it covered we disagreed you had Iowa I had Gonzaga and then you took Rutgers I took Illinois I don't know if I would change it yet. Illinois is five and three, and I can't quit this team. Now Rutgers looked wonderful. It's six and zero. Oh. I don't have the poll up in front of me. I got to figure it's going to be top fifteen when the poll refreshes on Monday. It damn well better be. They've got a wonderful thing going there. Ron Harper Jr. has this way about him, like he just gets buckets, man. He just knows how to score. He is. He's wonderful to watch, man. He gives hope for everyone, I think. And uh, the fact that they've been able to do this and Geo Baker has not been at full strength is even a bigger testament to Steve Peichel. So um, I choose to shine a light on Rutgers and maybe step off the stage and not put too much attention on myself for picking Illinois as the best team in the league when it's now 5-3. and three. Still ranked ahead. This is where the predictive stuff comes in. Illinois still ranked ahead of Rutgers at Ken Palm. It's 11th. Uh, Rutgers is 18th as we speak here. And Illinois is facing uh, a road game Wednesday night at Penn State. If you can't win that, then I'm going to really have to uh, to have some crow served up to me and uh, and go face first into it. But I... St- <laughs> Big Ten's so good, GP. But I still am going to take Illinois. Although I will acknowledge that Wisconsin, Iowa, and yes... Rutgers, right there with Michigan State. These are all teams that can be the best team in the league, and they're all teams that I think are going to be in the conversation for like four seed or better when we get to Selection Sunday. It's been it's been awesome. Weird game. Illinois shot better than Rutgers from the field, from the three-point line, and from the free-throw line. Still lost. Rutgers had more offensive rebounds, fewer turnovers, shot 21 more free throws. So that explains it. Rutgers shot 36 free throws, made 25. Illinois shot 15 free throws, made 11. So Rutgers outscored Illinois by 14 at the free throw line. That's ultimately what decided the game. Um, I thought this was interesting. I just sort of noticed it. Adam Miller is the night freshman at Illinois. Sort of the, the, the he's a third leading scorer behind Ayu DeSumo and Kobe Colbert. He was... 0 of 3 for 0 points in this loss to Rutgers. Illinois lost three times. We've established that. The other losses are to Missouri. He was 1 of 6 for 2 points in that loss. And Baylor. 
They lost to Baylor. He was two of 11 for four points. So he entered the game against Rutgers as Illinois' third leading scorer, averaging 11.9 points per game. But he's three of 20 from the field and averaging just two points per game in the Illini's three losses. I don't, I don't know if you can connect all those dots, but he has, he has been good this season, really bad in the three losses. And perhaps it's really bad against the, you know, the better teams they're playing. Some interesting early research there that certainly could mean something because I think Adam Miller has a, a very high ceiling and could wind up being an extremely important important player, even more than he is right now, to Illinois' uh, kind of big-picture hopes there. Um, DeSumo has continued to be good, and I think Co- Coburn's uh, advanced plenty well. I also think that uh, Andre Curbelo just isn't on the floor as much as I want him to be on the floor. I, I feel like with Illinois, when he is on the court – uh, good things tend to happen more frequently than not. And I don't know if that's purely like he, t- I know he's, I think it's two things. He does tend to turn it over. I understand. And he is, you know, he's just a freshman playing behind Trent Frazier, a senior. And I think that, you know, and then Miller's also getting time, but I don't know. The turnovers can't be ignored. Uh, Underwood will get it figured out, but I've watched Illinois play against Ohio, Baylor, Duke, Missouri. I saw a little bit of the Minnesota game, and then I watched almost all of the Rutgers game. And this is feeling like a team where it's going to get into the tournament, and if it gets like a four seed, it's still going to have – its record is, go, is not going to be indicative, I think, of how good the team is. I, just, I, I think if you're an Illinois fan, you need a brace for this where you're probably going to take – the losses are all respectable. Baylor at Missouri at Rutgers. They're all respectable losses. But if you told me they took one or two kind of bad ones and that kind of knocked them down a peg or two, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but I, I still trust the pieces they have to make a Final Four run. Rutgers now 6-0 and in the past three wins over Syracuse, Maryland, and Illinois. Next up for the Scarlet Knights at Ohio State. Ohio State, of course, coming off of a win over UCLA in the CBS Sports classic all right norlander before we get out of here remember when we used to go through the apple podcast reviews and we would pull out a review and we would share it on the podcast as a way to shout out uh, listeners but also if we're being transparent try to push more people to leave uh, good ratings and reviews in, in at apple Podcasts. remember those days i remember the days and i am all in favor of people asking us funny interesting questions in the reviews and incorporating that into the podcast okay so i went looking at the reviews and i found a tremendous uh review or at least um one that made me smile let me share it with you it comes from somebody named h-town red that's a, I, he, that's the name he put i'm not in charge of who what, what you type in as an alias on on uh, Apple Podcasts. So it's H-Town Red, and he said he was listening to the episode where I explained that the CHI Health Center in Omaha isn't the Shy Health Center Omaha. Okay. It's, it's, the, it's CHI Health Center Omaha. That's where Creighton plays basketball games. Not, but it, it's typed CHI altogether. And so I was like, I didn't know, as I was explaining on the on a previous pie, I didn't know whether it was Shy Health Center or CHI Health Center. Um, so I went and, and started watching a bunch of Omaha local newscast on YouTube <laughs> to try to get the correct, correct pronunciation. It's CHI Health Center Omaha. That's Creighton's home arena. So H-Town Reds listen to this, and he says it just blew his mind because his son was born at CHI St. Luke's Hospital 
in September, and he has always assumed it was Shy St. Luke's. If you ask him where his son was born, he'd say, oh, yeah, he was born at, uh, he actually said people don't really use the Shy or the CHI, they just say St. Luke's. But if you were to say, give me the exact name of hospital where your son was born, he would have said Shy St. Luke's. So he's blown away. He's just listening randomly like, what? He had no idea. So he says he goes, grabs his wife. He said, hey, sweetheart, name the hospital where our son was born, the entire name. You know what she said? Shy St. Luke's. He told her she was wrong. She was also blown away. So as H-Town Red explained, if I had not watched hours of Omaha newscast in preparation for this podcast, he would have spent his whole life claiming his son was born at Shy St. Luke's instead of CHI St. Luke's. You will not, and this is a quote, you will not, H-Town Red wrote, get this kind of life-changing college basketball coverage anywhere else. All right, let's let's uh let's drive around this cul-de-sac for a second here. So, love that. I peeked into the reviews a couple weeks ago cuz I wanted to I'm happy you did this cuz I wanted to get uh I want to give a shout out to the listeners that do this. And honestly, if you guys have questions or whatever, I I would love to incorporate this on on Sunday podcast. Today Today is the 10-year anniversary of my first day at CBS. The first day I actually wrote a word for CBSSports.com. It is today. December 20th, 2010 was my first day. And so I thought it only appropriate uh, that GP and I are, are recording a podcast here. And as we mentioned, uh, I don't know, three weeks ago or so, GP and I have been colleagues with each other um, longer than we have with any other person ever. So we, we work with each other more frequently than anyone else. So um, love doing the pod. Hope everyone's enjoying. I... I have to mention a few things with these reviews, though. When we tried to guess, so if you took a tour, you would have seen, when we tried to guess the oldest university in the Big Ten, there were like nine reviews correcting us that it was Rutgers and not Michigan or something like that, which was amazing. I'm going to give a couple more shout-out. First of all, I love the titles of these things. Things like The Under Canter, Google it, Double Vision, Double Tennis Elbow. When we, I think I mentioned Bowling Green... And people thought I was talking. I thought they thought I thought Bowling Green was in uh, Kentucky when it was university. You guys are very funny. But here's a couple more nice ones. My first and only review. This is Bill Orange in October. I really enjoy the following about your podcast. You don't yell at me like other sports podcasts. Thanks, Bill. I like how neither GP nor Norlander talk over each other. Respect. We don't for the most part, but longtime listeners will realize that that's actually learned behavior because we wanted to talk over each other. For years. Both of you guys are extremely well prepared. I give GP way more credit for that one. You sprinkle just enough personal stuff in there, not too much. Sure. You don't overstate things except when GP talks about Memphis. Fair. Good info on recruits. Um, keep up the good work, guys. And a few more kind words for the Q's wouldn't hurt either. Syracuse almost lost to Buffalo over the weekend, but if they can get it done, uh, we will absolutely help you out there. But we appreciate... Um, we appreciate the nice words. Some of these reviews are like, you know, we take the time to read them. It's super appreciated. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, to bring up my, my appreciation and gratitude for that, um, with, with everything. The ones I absolutely love are the ones where, where people listen to a podcast episode, they drop in for Jay asking about camel fighting, because apparently there, there's now dialogue happening within the reviews. To answer your question, camel fighting is a real thing you can look up. But on one podcast, they started talking about it, and it became one of those things where they talk about it for 10 to 15 minutes. You'll figure it out if you listen. That's true. My last thing, Parrish, is this. 
Um, a man named Quinn reached out and said, listen, the start of every podcast, Camel Fighting Leaky Black, it's kind of been played out. Why don't you guys, why doesn't Paris drop a nugget for the listeners where, like, maybe it's Camel Fighting and Leaky Black for, like, six weeks, but then it becomes two other completely random things. I kind of like that, too. But because we, because let's be honest. We never talk, and for the better, we never talk about camel fighting on this podcast. It was one podcast where you didn't know the camel, camel was the fighting camels. I don't even think they are the fighting camels anymore. And Leaky Black's going to graduate college soon. So it's just something to consider. That's all. You know what? I don't know why I started doing that, um, but what it does, and my radio show starts the same way with different words, but the same words every day, it gets me in a rhythm. It's like a, it's like almost a, I don't know. It gets me, it's like, okay, it's almost like a runway. Like this is what happens as I'm going down the runway and now I'm ready to take off and then we go. So I, 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 I think it's just more of a, first, it's total inside joke for people who've been longtime listeners, Leaky Black and Camel Fight. We obviously nev- never talk about Camel Fighting anymore and we almost never talk about Leaky Black. Really disappointed in Leaky Black, if I'm being transparent. Like he, it, we needed him to become something more than he's become. Still time, but like running out of time. But I, I think left up to me, we're going to always open the podcast with camel fighting and, and leaky black. It feels comfortable. At the, I'd feel uncomfortable doing it any other way. Um, either way, awesome reviews. And I enjoy reading them because some of the reviews are really great. I will say we need more awesome reviews like H-Town Red and Quinn uh, because the virus deniers have taken over the comments. Have, have you noticed that? Uh, they haven't taken over, but they've made their presence known and – this has become a thing. It's the latest. I'm going to one star on Yelp, a restaurant for whatever reason. Um, to state the obvious, we respect the lives of others. We believe in science on this podcast. We will not be changing that. So if you're if you feel that you need to legitimately uh, try and better your life by hopping into an iTunes review section to start talking about denying COVID or its effects, uh, have a blast. But the overwhelming majority of our listeners are intelligent people who respect science, who believe in science, who understand that there are people losing their lives by the thousands and thousands of every every single day. We are fortunate enough to be able to do this podcast for you. We love our listeners to the very low minority. If you got to do that, Whatever. You do that, the uh, the ones who believe in science and understand the podcast for what it is, they greatly outnumber you, and we thank you very much. Right. I, I'm with you on this. Like We're in the middle of a college basketball season that is constantly disrupted by a pandemic. Like it or not, the virus and the pandemic are major factors in this season. So we will continue to talk about it when appropriate. If, like, if you want a college basketball podcast hosted by dum-dums who can only talk about dunks and blocks, like go go find one they're out there i assume that's just not us like we talk about camel fighting sometimes we talk about dead legs and tennis elbows sometimes we spent 10 minutes last friday talking about a billiken we talk about whatever oh. we we talk about whatever we feel like and i and i i think norlanda's right the overwhelming majority of you majority of you you want it that way that's why you're here and you've been here for as long as you've been here but but it's the loud minority showing up in the Apple podcast reviews right now. So if some of you could balance that out, that would, that would be really cool. And maybe you, you can be the next H-Town Red. All right, Parrish, before we get out of here, this happens 
This happens like two or three times a season where we try and get this. We try and get the podcast to the people, and the schedule. It seems safe. The schedule was not safe. We actually have squeak squeak this in at the end of the pod here. We actually have a significant upset that is that is played out here. So for people listening on Monday, they know what we're talking about. But go ahead, lay it on them. Final score, Northwestern 79, Michigan State 65. Uh, Northwestern led 43-30 at the break and held on to win by double digits to hand Michigan State its first loss of the season. Michigan State's ranked fourth in the country. I had them fifth in the top 25-1. and one. So um, they will get the 10-spot auto drop. Joey Hauser suffered an injury at the end of the first half, but – Still, that doesn't explain why you lose by 14 points to to Northwestern. Still early. Michigan State will still be fine, but that is obviously a surprising result from, from Sunday night. I'd say that's notable. Uh, Langford fouled out. He had five. Um, man. For, Northwestern was viewed as a bottom three team in the league heading into the season. It still might wind up being that, but, you know, it's – in, in doing the the prep for the top 101 players and doing the prep for the league previews and all that stuff, like you just get to talking to a few coaches. There wasn't a media day that we went to this year. And the one thing I heard from like three or four coaches was, I, and they kind of share it like on background. So it's not specifically for the record, but they, they kind of say like, you know, I don't know how, how great Northwestern can be in like the top seven or eight, but they are going to get a couple of wins this year. I just don't see how they won't be able to get a couple wins that people think they shouldn't. And wouldn't you know it, these coaches tend to know what they're talking about, even if they're going to gas up their own league and we get this, this situation here. I mean, 79-65, you know, right up on the doorstep of, uh, of Christmas here. And, and the Big Ten will, in fact, have uh, games on Christmas Day. But that's a, that's a damaging loss there, for, for sure, for the conference race. And then for Michigan State's resume, uh, there's no doubt about it. So this, I'm trying to vamp as we talk. This probably qualifies as the biggest upset of the weekend, I think. I know Michigan State was only favored by like five or so, but I don't know if there was a, a louder upset, if you will, than uh, than what we had here on Sunday night. Well, certainly nothing louder than this. I, I, you know, again, the point spread probably wasn't as much as most people would think, given that it was a top five, quote, top five team against a team picked near the bottom of the Big Ten. But Ken Palm had a projected score of only Michigan State 77-73, four-point spread. Interesting, Michigan State entered this game, and they're about to drop as soon as Ken Palm updates. They entered this game 20th at Ken Palm. So this is one where, you know, the computers and the human polls and even my human rankings are have been a little bit out of whack. I'm just noticing this as we're talking about it. Michigan State started 11th at Ken Palm in the preseason won their first six games, but dropped to 20th, which is not a normal, it, it's, it's a, it's a, that's an abnormal thing. Mm-hmm. So they had not been performing well, even while building a, a nice record. Um, and it, apparently on Sunday night, it catches up to them. How about this? And then we can, you can give the shouts and we can get out of here on this, but Northwestern is coming off a win against Quincy, of course, um, wherever that is 148, but it lost by one at home to Pitt on December 9, and then its only other two wins were over Arkansas, Pine Bluff, and Chicago State. That's 351 and 356 at Ken Palm. And there was just no reason to expect that this was going to happen. Michigan State, for everyone listening either late Sunday night or if you're listening on Monday, do check out GP's Top 25 and 1, which updates daily, of course. I will be interested to see what you do with this team. Its wins are against Eastern Michigan, 
a just okay Notre Dame team, a Duke team that okay, like we'll see, and then Detroit, Western Michigan, and Oakland. Michigan State actually hasn't proven all that much just yet. Now the Duke win at Duke is something. I'm not saying it's not completely nothing, but um, now it's you know interesting loss to come just ahead of what is a very big game on Christmas Day against Wisconsin. That game will be at Breslin Center. It's the biggest game on Christmas on Friday. I can already tell you what I'm going to do with them. They'll get the the you know ten spot auto drop that I use for a team's first bad loss in an attempt to not overreact and say you don't have the re- quote resume the wins to offset this bad loss. I developed that auto drop a few years ago. I found it to be beneficial. So Michigan State will go from five in the top twenty five and one to fifteenth in uh, the top twenty five and one. But you know th- this is obviously a a, a a rough loss. And by the way, you mentioned Northwestern play Quincy. Is actually Quincy Pondexter. They oh. played. They 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 scheduled a non-league game against Quincy Pondexter, and he just had trouble trying to play one on five. Ends up losing one hundred forty-eight. I mean, that the flip side of it is Quincy Pondexter scored forty-eight points against Northwestern. You know, five days before Northwestern upset Michigan State, but still, forty-eight points weren't going to be enough to to get you a victory over a Big Ten team using five actual people. So. Shouts to Quincy Von Dexter. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to H-Town Red. Thank you for listening once again to the Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Seriously, my entire lifetime. Never felt, never dealt with a pandemic this idiotic. Insane what we're going through. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell one person about it. If you're not subscribed, Please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. And if you're over at Apple Podcasts, leave a nice review, five stars, a nice comment. That's all I've ever asked. Either way, we're going to talk to you again on Tuesday, Tuesday morning. It's Christmas week, so we're mixing it up a little bit. We're going to talk to you on Tuesday morning and then again on Christmas Eve. So check the feed Tuesday afternoon. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.